This morning we're reading from Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 19. The angel of God was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. By the time I was 17, my nose had taken a few lumps. I remember when I was about 12, I was out in the neighborhood playing with my buddies. We we're playing some form of capture the flag. I was trying to escape. I ran around a house that had become vacant. Someone had chained a white picket fence across the driveway, but I thought I can go over that. There was a crossbar, so I leapt on the crossbar, thrust with my first foot. I went in the clear. I'm going to be free. The only problem is the second foot, the big toe, I think, didn't quite clear the last picket. And all of a sudden, all my momentum was facing toward the concrete, and I met it quickly, leading with my nose. It was a stunning blow. That's the first time, I think, that my nose moved from its original position. But then I went on to middle school. I liked to play basketball. I'd gone out for the team. We were practicing one day. I was running across the lane to receive a pass but my feet and some other feet got tumbled. I began to lose my balance. I put my hands down to save my balance as I came back up. The ball that had been passed in my direction at full speed did not adjust to my stumble, and it slammed into my face. I think that's the second time that my nose moved from its original position. 
Well, I went on to high school as a freshman. I went out for the basketball team again. We were practicing one day. I was playing against players who were much bigger than I was. I was still only five foot and seven inches and barely over 100 pounds at this point. This guy playing in front of me was so much bigger. So I got down in the best defensive position I knew. When the ball came to him, he caught it. He faked to go one way and then went the other way. But my nose, unfortunately, in that great defensive stance was right at the level of his elbow. And my face took the brunt of his fake. I think that's the third time that my nose moved from its original position. I didn't go out for basketball anymore after my freshman year. But I continued to play in pickup games because I loved it. Since then, I think I've only broken this pinky and one ankle in those pickup games. But by my senior year in high school, for some reason, I was having a little trouble breathing through my nose. So the doctor suggested I go in and they clean out and straighten up that cartilage. I was to have surgery on Thursday, which I did. I was supposed to be back in school by Monday, but somehow I got blood poisoning in the hospital. I was in ICU by Friday night. By Saturday, they called my parents and my siblings and told them they were not sure I was going to live through Saturday night. The family gathered, prayers went up, the word spread, others began to pray. I made it through the night, obviously I survived. I was in the hospital for another couple of weeks and then in another hospital for rehab for a couple of weeks. 30 days later, I finally was back at school. Friends began to say to me, God has saved you for a purpose Church people began to come to me and say, God has a special purpose for you. You've been saved. I was uncomfortable with them saying that to me. But I think about generations that are yet to come, and maybe my great-great-grandkids will hear of how one of their ancestors was saved by God. And perhaps they'll come to know and love and believe in that God as well. Family stories, tribal stories, national stories take on significance when told from generation to generation. They become a vehicle to carry the values and beliefs of a people. They become stories that help us understand our identity and in fact help shape and form our identity this story we've read today from exodus is a significant story because it tells us of the development of the hebrew people into a nation chosen and saved by god to be a blessing to the world you may remember a couple of weeks ago we read that story of the burning bush and how Moses heard God calling him to go to Egypt. Then last week, Reverend Venable read us the story at the end of these plagues where Moses is fighting with Pharaoh. God is fighting through Moses to get the people released. And they tell the story right there at the end of the first Passover and how the Hebrew children were saved even as the firstborn of the Egyptians died. It is a key moment in this whole narrative about liberation and deliverance and salvation of the Hebrew people. First, the children are delivered, and then in our story today, all of the Israelite people are delivered 
as they move through the sea. But they're not only moving out of Egypt, they're moving from being Hebrew slaves to being God's people as the Israelite nation. In seminary, my Bible professors called this story a saga. They said a saga is a foundational story that carries the values and beliefs of a people that it helps shape and form the identity of a people. Remember, the Jews will say year after year what God did, how God split the sea and delivered our people. We have an awesome God. Our God loves and cares for us. Our God is mighty to save. Those stories told year after year shape and form us. Don't miss also the clever symmetry in these stories. First, remember what Pharaoh had first said early in Exodus, back in chapters 1 and 2, that he wanted to kill all the Hebrew babies that were boys, throw them in the river, he said. Now, do you realize the irony? How do the Egyptians die today in our story? By water overcoming them. Or think about the use of fire. The story we read a couple of weeks ago. Moses experiences God in this bush that is burning but not being consumed. He somehow hears the call of God out of the fire. But now, in our story today, how is fire used? It's the presence of God again. It says over and over that God is with the people in this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire listen to it again we began in verse 19 the angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them it came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel and so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night it's like it's on fire down in verse 24 At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. In these great stories from the Hebrew Scriptures, we have a description of the events, but they're saying much more than just that these events happening. We are hearing the theology of the emerging Israelites. We're hearing their beliefs about who God is and what God does on behalf of people. It's a foundational story for them as a people. But we have those as a country as well here in America. We have stories like the Boston Tea Party that talk about who we are as a people as we're strong. We're for liberty and justice. We're throwing off the oppression of an evil king who's overtaxed us. Now, from another perspective... From the perspective of the king, that was an illegal act against everyday, normal, legal, business, and governmental affairs. But we have these stories that become sagas that carry more than just a description of the events. We, just like other countries, have these stories that carry our beliefs about God being on our side as well. Perhaps the best known of these from the Revolutionary War era was when George Washington was at the East River 
He had assembled a group of 12,000 militiamen. The Continental Army was being formed. It's August 1776. He's ready to face the British. But then the British Navy surprises him and lands a force twice as large. Washington can see that there's no way they can win this battle as night falls and the British troops begin to build their encampment to ready to come toward the Americans the next day. Washington decides they need to escape across the river. The call goes out for any boats to come. But they work at it all night. And in the morning, only a small fraction of the soldiers have been moved. The winds had been against them most of the night. There were too few rowboats, and the sailboats that were there were of no purpose. But then about midnight, the story says, the winds died down. And then they began to shift in another direction that aided the sailboats and the rowboats. And all of a sudden, more and more people were being moved. And yet by daybreak, most of the force was still on land, ready to face the onslaught of the British army. And then, as if God was on their side... A thick, unusual fog rolled in. You could not hardly see past your hand. And the fog held steady through noon. And guess what? Washington's strategy worked under the cover of the fog. The escape plan worked beautifully. Not a soldier was lost. One historian writing a few years after the revolution in 1789 wrote this, Providence, in a remarkable manner, favored the retreating army. That is the providence of God. The provision of God was on their side. That's what the historian's saying. That's what the early Americans believed. When people are saved from destruction or from overwhelming evil often they begin to realize maybe there's something bigger going on than what i'm doing in my own life often when this happens people recognize that there's something bigger than individuals at work in the world and when that happens we point to god you can hear it in the text today verse 28 the waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. And then this in verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. You hear their beliefs and their theology that God was on their side. One commentator I read this week wrote it like this. The fear of Egypt, Israel's old illegitimate master, is now gone. There's only one in all creation to be feared. The Lord who has delivered them from bondage. Yet Israel's relationship with the Lord is rooted not in fear as anxiety, but in a deep trust in the Lord's ability to save and in the Lord's chosen servant, Moses.
Lots of stories like this about the founding of movements and nations, but also they come in individual lives. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, when he was five years old, his family's living at Epworth, England. His father is the pastor at the local church there, and one night the roof of the house catches on fire. They sound the alarm. The family begins to gather the children. People are running out different doors. Finally, finally, all the family gathers in the front yard. And young John, five years old, is not there. He tells the story as he remembers it later in his life. He says he awoke and flames were all around. He ran to the door to go down the stairs. Too many flames. His father, he can hear him yelling for him, tries to come back in on a number of occasions to save him, but he too is driven back by the flames. The family in distress in the front yard begins to pray, thinking that young John is lost. But by then, there's such a racket, the neighbors have gathered to try to help put out the fire. And just as everyone's thinking, it's all lost. Young John appears at the upstairs window. One of the neighbors jumps on the shoulders of some of the others, and John jumps out of the window, and the boy is saved. His mother, Susanna, said it was like he was a brand plucked by God out of the burning. We know this story had a significant influence on John's identity for when he was 50 years old, some 45 years later, he is gravely ill. He thinks he's going to die, and he writes in his journal that this should be put on his headstone. Here lieth the body of John Wesley, a brand plucked from the burning. Wesley believed that God was on his side, that God was at work in his life. He believed what his mother was saying. John grew up with a sense that God had saved him for a purpose, that God had worked in his life, and now God was fulfilling some bigger plan through his faithfulness. And thus, Wesley goes into the ministry. A movement is born. Methodism erupts. We are the ancestors, the descendants, I mean, of that movement, of that movement of God in Wesley's life. What experiences are definitive in your life? What experiences shaped your values and beliefs? As you think back about your life, what stories do you remember? Which ones have a faith component? It's important to remember these stories throughout our lives and to celebrate them. Because it helps us remember that God has been at work in our lives and is with us today. Think about those stories. Remember them. Celebrate them. Even if the events or the circumstances come out of trouble or tragedy or heartache, God can redeem those experiences the Bible tells us over and over again. Well, we're living through a pandemic we're dealing with so much turbulence and social unrest in our country, but it's important through it all that we look for how God is at work in our lives even now, saving us and making us whole 
as we remember our salvation. I hope yours comes alive in your heart. So God's love is continually reverberating within you and leading you on into the future. Amen. And thanks be to God.